You've got a remarkable story. You handed the keys back, effectively, and left behind your home of... Seven years. Of seven years. And uh, you had two children at that yes. point? Okay. Yes. We had been living in this county for a couple of years and had been renting. found the experience quite stressful because a couple of times our landlady had told us that uh, she was leaving her husband and she was going to sell the house. And so (laughs) after we'd gone through that twice, we decided maybe it's time to buy a house. So we found a very nice house in a very nice little town and so give me give me a picture how did you end up in Ireland um you're Australian your husband's British yes yeah. oh I ha- I have a British passport so I had lived in London before and I decided to go traveling again thought I'd just spend a couple of months in Ireland and ended up there for almost 15 years we're just too lovely you just <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't leave us <laughs> oh it was the weather and I met my my husband in Dublin and then we moved to... To the Midlands, yeah. To the Midlands. Yeah. And now, you don't want to say where you were living. Tell me a little bit about that fear. Because you, you left uh, something like four years ago, I think, wasn't yes. it? Yes. So what, what is that fear? What does that feel like, having handed back the keys to a financial institution and just left? I mean, how does that feel? I felt criminal, in a way, because it wasn't something I ever thought I would do. One thing that did make it easier was that we knew we weren't alone. We knew both from people that that we knew ourselves and from talking to friends who knew other people that there were other people in our situation and who had also had to leave Ireland to escape the debt that they couldn't repay. I mean, did you take out your mortgage before the financial crisis or 2007, after? 2007. 2007? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so when you left, it was 2014. So you really you really had a good go at paying that mortgage. What, what, what were the factors that resulted in you just having this unmanageable debt what happened first of all I think it was maybe not even a year after we had taken out our mortgage I have to say at the time both my husband and myself were in very good jobs you know we we thought we would not have any difficulty paying off that mortgage at all but maybe eight nine months after we'd taken out the mortgage there was lots of rumblings and my husband even said maybe we should just sell up and go I thought no that's ridiculous you know we've put all this effort into the house we've planted trees you know, we've we've got this lovely colour scheme in the lounge and had you had you know, children sh- at that stage? Yes, we did. So how many we kids did. did you have when you took out the mortgage? Two. So you already had two kids, yes. right? And they were quite young children. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. They were only about I think three and four. So what would you say were the major factors that caused you to be in a situation where you were unable to keep up your mortgage payments? Uh, we were told that our wages were going to be docked. I remember when there was first rumblings about that and quite a few of the staff were saying, oh, don't be ridiculous. You know, that's something out of Charles Dickens novels. That's not going to happen. <laughs> but that happened. Uh, both myself and my husband, I can't remember how much it was, but our pay was docked because we were both worked in the public sector and then there was the universal social charge there was a pension levy so also my husband's vehicle that he used for work that was taken away from him as part of cutbacks in his job and I had to actually ask my parents for a loan which I found really awkward given that I was in my 40s at the time and my parents are retirees in Australia. Our kids had both been in either childcare or after school care so what we decided was my husband would leave his job, look after the kids at home. We gave up an income because the cost of of childcare is ridiculous. (laughs) 
Right. Um, so it was a massive squeeze. It was. It was huge. You, you almost like you almost like fled to Australia. How did you make that decision? Because you could have gone to England as well. So what, what? What? How did you make that choice? I mean, what was that we, like? We explored all sorts of options. We thought about declaring bankruptcy, and then someone told me that if I did that, I wouldn't be able to keep my job because of what I was doing. I don't know if that was true, but we're also told that our names would be published in the papers and that it would be quite a long period of time before we'd be able to get back on our our feet again. So we just thought it made far more sense to to come to Australia. I suppose the children and their futures eventually down the line. We were always thinking at some point about coming back to Australia. But not under those circumstances. No, no, not at all. So what what are your lasting memories of that time? One One of my abiding memories is every month we had to fill out this this it had a, a lovely little acronym but it was something for the bank and we we used to write letters to the bank try to explain our situation I, we had the magic figure of a thousand euro a month you know we said that's something we could repay we couldn't afford I think it was 1600 on one income it wasn't possible so we kept writing these letters and we kept filling in these sort of financial statements out lining everything down to the last cent you know birthday presents meals everything so you remember writing these very restrictive budgets yeah, yeah. and i another thing i that really stands out for me is in winter time the cost of oil to heat our house we we'd sort of get the bare minimum we were trying to not to use too much oil which after all i just thought this is crazy we can't live like this this isn't right i i actually got an apology from this woman who's on enviable task it was to be our liaison from the bank what, and she even apologised What was she apologising for? The fact that there was so much inflexibility even though the, the, you know there was even a little thing in the bank saying you know we're here to work with you but we certainly didn't have that feeling at all if anything they didn't seem to believe that we were in hardship. Can you identify the disparity between what they said they were going to do and what actually happened? I remember listening to things on the radio and that you'd hear people who were representatives from the banks and they were trying to sound empathetic and they were very understanding of people's situations and what was it, debt forgiveness and you'd hear other terms being bandied around and, and, you know, you'd have this glimmer of hope that maybe you'd be able to hang on to your house. The biggest asset that most people have, we wanted to hang on to, to that house or, you know, have it as an investment. I remember going into the bank. We had regular meetings with them. I don't think I ever cried, but I felt very close to it. And I I just felt they saw us as being dishonest, as as not giving them a, a sort of a factual account of our our situation or they just weren't going to give an inch and I I I felt maybe they felt that if they did that for one person they had to do it for everybody and the the debt was just so huge by that point. Are you still angry? Um if I really let myself think about it I, I know when I first came back to Australia I was depressed I found that very hard and I didn't want to hear anything about Ireland I remember the cranberries came on the radio and I switched it off because it was something that that reminded me of Ireland I I purposely didn't have contact with my colleagues from Ireland who were very, very dear friends. I just sort of needed a little bit of time to just get back. I mean, we we hit the ground running as soon as we, we got here. I joined an employment agency, we found a house, we bought a dog. That all happened within about three weeks. We got the kids into school. So I didn't 
have too much time to really think about it. You had other people to care for we as did. well. We did, yes, yeah. yes. And also my friends over here, they didn't know what was going on in Ireland. They hadn't, they'd heard a little bit. Most of them didn't have a clue. So I'd talk to them and they'd just sort of glaze over a little bit. What do you think about the drop of 20% in the value of homes, the 115,000, uh, sorry, I said I wasn't going to do facts and figures, but <laughs> through my head, 115,000 ho- homes in Melbourne, 115,000 homes ready to sell, no buyers. Do you think it's on the way? Do I think it's on the way? Do you think there's a housing crisis on the way here? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. What, are, what are the signs for you? Because, I mean, I know, I know how I feel about it and I'm looking around. What do you see here that reminds you of Ireland? I'm, I'm working with, with people who are facing homelessness or, or are homeless. A lot of them don't have an income. They're not able to be assisted by any of the crisis housing services. Or if they are assisted, it might just be for one or two days and then they're back in exactly the same situation as before. Um, I'm also aware that the housing stock that is available for them is of an extremely poor quality. I was also aware of that in in Ireland, particularly in in Dublin, the the people that I worked with there. I know because we're we're renting and we've seen our, our rent go up and up and up since we've been here. Houses around us go for ridiculous prices, but we've seen the downturn. There's a couple of houses that have had for lease or for sale signs on them and nothing seems to be happening. When, where we're living in Ireland, the street where we had our house, there was a couple of other places that we had looked at and they stayed empty for the whole seven years. We were living there and we saw the grass, there were brand new builds and we saw the grass growing up and up and up and we had a couple of ghost estates near us as well. Tell me about what you left behind, tell me about what you liked about it and what you miss. I had a lovely bunch of friends. We had, because I didn't have any family in Ireland, we had a woman I called my mum away from mum who lived across the road who sort of became like a surrogate grandparent for my children. She was just like Mrs Doyle out of Father Ted because she just used to churn out endless cups of tea. They were wonderful people, you know, really, really decent, lovely, hospitable people, real characters as well. It was a very picturesque area. We had, there was a little lake near us and my husband and son who were big into fishing used to, they had a rowboat that they could use anytime and went pike fishing. It was very lovely and we used to pop across the border to Marks and Spencers and, you know, stock up on, on nice wheels. There was there was a lot that I really, really did like about my life. And another thing I have to say is I suppose in terms of things that I, I really appreciate, my, my children both went to an Irish school and they had a fantastic education and I think that stood them in great stead since they've been here. I think they've got a fantastic work ethic. I'm very, very proud of the fact that my kids take their their studies very seriously. And I really do think that that came from the six years that they had in Irish schools. Yeah. What advice would you have for somebody in your position now in Ireland who's thinking about jumping ship? A few times my parents have said, oh, things are really looking up in Ireland now. You know, I have no idea if that's true. I, I haven't really wanted to 
to know if that's true or not. And I'm sure in the, the county that I came from um, and probably most places outside of Dublin that it's not. Advice I would give to people who, um, if they're unfortunate enough to be in that same position, if you have the means to get away from that debt, do it because definitely it was the right thing for us. And that level of stress and worry, it was only, I think, after a few months that we were here that I felt lighter. I felt, yeah, it, it was a, a re- phenomenal release not to have that sense of being in the wrong, I suppose, and, and worrying about whether or not someone was going to come and repossess our house. Some of the things you refer to imply a lot of guilt and shame. How difficult has it been to deal with those feelings? Um, I think not being in the country has, has definitely been the big thing. I mean, when we were in Ireland, we were constantly listening to the news, reading the papers, going on the internet, and I don't know that that was always that helpful. And I think coming over here, being that far away from it, both geographically and in lots of other ways, once we did go to see a lawyer when we, we came here because I was very conscious of, can we be pursued? Will someone come looking for us down the track? We we did go to see a lawyer who turned out to be Irish and had experiences within his own family of people who had done the same as us. So, and what was his advice? <laughs> I can't do an Irish accent, but <laughs> <laughs> please don't. <laughs> he he actually just said, "Don't worry." It's okay, you're fine, which wasn't a very loyally, lawyer-ish thing to say, but it was a very human and very nice and kind thing to say and it was good for, for us to hear it. And also I took my parents with us to that appointment because I sort of, I did feel this shame. Um, as did you a, want your parents to bear witness to this advice? Yes, I did. I did. That was very much yeah. what it was. <laughs> and my dad was so chuffed that he went out and bought a bottle of Irish whiskey and brought it back for the lawyer because, you know, I think they needed to hear it as well because they were worried about us. My parents are in their 80s and 90s and, you know, they didn't want to think that their child was going to be in huge debt and pursued by creditors and all the rest of it. If you could speak or if you could give advice, uh, a piece of advice, on behalf of people in your situation to the authorities, I mean, what would you what would you ask them to change? We didn't feel as if people were, were acknowledging the human face of what was going on. I remember I remember not hearing about Iceland and the fact that they didn't bail out the banks, which I just thought was fantastic. And I think that was a big source of anger for us, that the Irish government was going to really fleece its people in order to bail out the banks. That's all for Housing Crisis Update. If you'd like to subscribe to Housing Crisis Update, visit Murphy the Journalist forward slash news or follow us on Twitter at Murphy the Journal or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Murphy the Journal.